0: A lot of things going through my mind right now is as uh, Aaron and the choir and the praise team were leading us. And when they started singing "Amen there at the end, it just reminded me for those who have been with me to Israel, and I was singing in the church there at the pools of Betheddah. and then Nasser, who is like an Israeli father to me, sings. And it echoes throughout those, that chapel. I just was reminded of that time. And Nasser wants me to share with you. Thank you so much for the gifts that we've uh, put together to give to him during this time. That they are at war in Israel. And uh, during this time that he is at home without a job. Because he's a tour guide and obviously not many people are going there. But that song... Could not be more perfect, is that the way to say that? Could not be more perfect on a day that, just yesterday, meeting with the family as Marks was passing away, and this past week of a giant of the faith as I sat with his family as well as Sam was passing away, and the song said that the Lord is the strength of our life. Every time before I get up to preach, I always share, Father, I'm desperately dependent on you today to proclaim your truth. Today, as I prayed that prayer, I said, Father, there's no difference today than any other day. I'm desperately dependent on you, but today I feel it even more. He is the source of our strength, He's the power. It's all Christ and Christ alone. I still stand on the fact that if it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's me. And so today, I just pray that the Lord would put me on the front row and that He would just speak in and through me. That I, too, may hear that which He is speaking. Today, as we have been over the last few weeks, well, over the last few months, we've been in the book of Proverbs. And we'll be in the book of Proverbs for a few more months. but. We'll take a break in the next few weeks because of the holidays as we look at uh, the birth of Christ as we uh, move into the Christmas season. I know that we have Thanksgiving coming up um, and we'll talk next week about being thankful as the scripture says in all things give thanks and we'll discuss that. But today we'll finish this topical study of the family in the book of Proverbs. Now, in the book of Proverbs, we looked in verse 24, 3, and 4, and it talked about the foundation of the family. We did that first, two weeks ago, about how wisdom, understanding, and knowledge builds the foundation of the family. Then last week, uh, we talked about the Father, and we looked throughout the book of Proverbs of different passages that gives us characteristics of a godly man. And we saw, uh, and I won't go through all uh, like eleven of those subpoints, but we saw that a godly man is one who leaves a spiritual inheritance for those who come after him, for his children and his children 's children. You know, I closed last week, the last time that I will have uh, preached when Marx was here, and I closed with that that point, and that was this: is that it is way more important to leave a spiritual inheritance than a financial inheritance. And I will tell you that Marks was my basketball coach when I was eight years old, and he left a mark on my life. I'll never forget, and I know that this is not the time I will share this at his celebration of life, but I'll never forget when I was young, and, and I was one of the younger kids on the team, and we made it to the state tournament, and he allowed every single kid to play, even though I only played 45 seconds. But we lost by two points. And listen, those 45 seconds, we could have scored two points. But I'll never forget that he let every person play. And that has just resonated in my heart that we must treat everybody how we want to be treated. We must care for all people. So he truly left a spiritual inheritance. Today we're going to jump into uh, the, the, a, a godly woman or a godly mother um, as we... Uh, dive into proverbs 31 so let's read proverbs 31 but i do have to tell you that there are also some other passages in scripture in proverbs that talks about the woman that we will briefly discuss it says this in proverbs 31 uh, verses 10 through 30 it says an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels the heart of her husband trust in her and he will have no lack of gain she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flack and works with her hands in delight. She is like, a mer- like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it from her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hand uh, to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. For her household, her clothed was scarlet. She makes covering for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothes and, her, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth and wisdom and teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the way of her household and does not eat the bread of idols or idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, as he praises her saying, many daughters have done noble. Nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Father, we just praise your holy name. I thank you for your word. And I pray right now that you'll speak in and through me as we walk through this passage. Holy Spirit, illuminate the pages that we may understand that which you are speaking. For it's in your holy name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The first thing I want us to look at is verse 10. It says, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. Proverbs 12, 4 also speaks to this, but also gives a negative to this. It says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. So as we look at Proverbs 31, and, and Proverbs 31 is a phenomenal passage about a virtuous, godly Woman. There's also a few statements in Proverbs that talks about the negative. Now, I was going to make a point on this, but I decided I will just share the words from the Scripture and just leave it at that. So it says this, that there are some negative things that uh, a wife can attribute to, and that is there are two major things. It says uh, in proverbs 9 13 it talks about a a, a boisterous woman it says the woman of folly is boisterous she is naive and knows nothing but then it also talks many times about a contentious woman now let me just say that contention means strife quarrel or bitter conflict Uh, the webster's dictionary says that a contentious person is likely to cause a disagreement or an argument So, Proverbs 21, there's three verses. Verse 9 says this, It is better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. 21.19 says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. 27.15, The constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a a contentious woman are alike. Now, as I said, I think that that speaks well enough. Now, I will give just a quick, quick commentary on that. You know, whenever I think about these passages, I say, okay, what is at the heart of this? What is at the heart of a boisterous or contentious person? Whether, Whether it's a woman or whether it's a man, what's at the heart of a contentious person? And that is this, that person has to always be right. I was told when I got married, you could either be right or happy. Maybe y'all have heard that too. But at the heart of a contentious woman is one who has to be right and demands that. One who is unforgiving. One who uh, is opinionated and lets their husband know all the time how right they are in their humble opinion, right? One who focuses on on themselves instead of their husband. But maybe I should say it this way. One who focuses more on themselves than God. What brings about contention? What brings about boisterousness? What brings about, uh, as the Proverbs 4 said, uh, rottenness in the bones? It's when we focus in more on our selfishness than we do on God. And so when we look at this idea of Proverbs 31, I told you that was all I was going to say about that. When we look at this idea of Proverbs 31, we see the virtuous woman. This is a summary of a woman who is abiding and dwelling in Christ. You know, when we look at Proverbs 31, for many of you in the room, ladies, you may feel like this is like this this perfect woman and it overshadows who you are. Like, whoa, I look at that and how could I ever be like that? How could I have all of these aspects in my life? And so I remind you, as I shared last week to the men... The standard is perfection. The standard is perfection, but the goal is growth. The standard is perfection, but the goal is growth. If you're moving towards perfection, if you're moving towards looking more and more like Christ, then you're hitting your goal. But if you sit there and you say, well, the goal is perfection, you'll never hit that until glorification. The scripture says that there's salvation that comes at the point where you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have at that point been saved from the penalty of sin. There's sanctification that we walk through from the moment of salvation to the moment that we breathe our last. And in this moment, we are being saved, being saved, currently being saved from the power of sin over our life. And then there's glorification. When we breathe our last and we stand before the throne, we have been saved from the presence of sin. So if you sit there and say, well, my goal is perfection, you don't recognize and truly understand what the sanctification process is doing in our life. It is growing us towards the moment of glorification when we breathe our last and stand before the throne of God. Now one other thing that I must mention, as I mentioned last week, whenever I share a topical message like this and we talk through some of these characteristics of a godly woman or a godly mother, we must recognize that you cannot do these things, you cannot live out these characteristics if you are not first in Christ Jesus. If you try in your own power and your own strength, you will build legalism. You will build uh, religion, the reality of it is, is that apart from Christ, we can do what? Nothing. When we abide in Christ, then we bear much fruit. That fruit reflects Galatians chapter 5. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And I probably missed one. And so, today as we look at these characteristics, we must recognize that the only way that we can do it is by abiding in Christ. And so one of my favorite sayings is this. We've got to quit trying and start abiding we got to quit trying and start abiding. The first thing that we see here in this passage, in verse 11, it says, The heart of her husband trusts in her. She's trusted. A godly woman is trusted. Interesting enough, last week, one of the things about a godly man was that he's trusted. We talked about this. It says this in verse 12. It says, She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Her husband trusts her heart and her motives. Listen, why does he trust her heart and her motives? Because she has a pure heart, because she's abiding and dwelling in Christ. Why? Because she's following God's word. Why? Because she wants to do the Father's will. I shared the example with you last week with Brother Fred and how I was so concerned he would tell me, Hey, I want you to lead in this and I want you to lead in that and I want to lead in this. And I said, Brother Fred, I'm struggling with doing that because I don't want to do something that you wouldn't want. And he said, David, I know your heart, and if you do something that I didn't want you to do, I would know that it wasn't intentional. Trust between a husband and a wife, when they're uh, seeking the Lord, it means that they not only just believe what they're saying, but they also believe that their heart is pure in the matter. And that when there becomes contention and when there becomes a a strife or some type of disagreement, they recognize that it was not intentional or not malice. When there's truly trust between a husband and a woman or a wife, they can both walk in the freedom that they know that even if they do hurt one another, which you will in marriage, right? They can know that it was not their intention and not their motive. The second thing that we see is verse 13 through 19, and in verse 13 through 19, we see that a godly woman is a hard worker. Now, you may say, David, do you know how much I work? I I get it, I get it. Let me just say, I read an article, and this was in the early 2000s, and it said that a stay-at-home mom, if they were paid according to their job, would make about $120,000 a year. That was in 2005. Inflation hasn't hit yet. You say, David, it's way more than that. I understand. I, I agree with you. But I want you to know that we recognize, we recognize that, listen, working in the workplace or at home is hard work. It's hard work. But what God is speaking in this moment is that it's not just simply about a mother doing work, but it's what is the attitude, what is the heart behind how we work and how we serve. It says in verse 13, and works with her hand in delight. In delight. What is the motive, what is the attitude that comes forth? Is it, well, I just have to do this. Well, he's not helping me. I just got to do this. Or is it truly a delight to serve and to help and to, to, to work unto the Lord? I can't tell you how many times people have come to my office and we're sitting there and we're walking through counseling and, and, and different things. And, and I have to remind them that children are a blessing from the Lord. And it's not that they don't know that here. It's that it's not hitting here because they're so tired. And they're exhausted from their job or from their work and all the different things. And I have to remind them, listen, God has blessed you. And, and, and children truly are a blessing. And what we have to help people realize is that we don't want to just simply survive. We want to thrive. It's not simply just surviving through the day. We want to uh, thrive and we must make sure that our heart is pure in how we do our job. Colossians 3.23, I think that all of us can put this into our life as uh, for anything that we do. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man. As for the Lord. So let me just say, for, for men, women, children, everybody in the room, when you are doing something, you ought to do that with the mind on Christ. That I'm doing this for Christ. I'm doing this to the Lord. I had a dear friend, he's not here today because he's, uh, well, Brother Oliver Cable, he's out at uh, preaching in, is it Belize? I think he's in Belize. And he's preaching down in Belize, but he often shares with me, David, when you preach, you're preaching to the Lord, unto the Lord. Everything that you do, unto the Lord. Let his word go forth unto the Lord. Do we serve, do we work with a delight, with a joy, because we're doing it unto the Lord. The next thing that we see in this passage is in verse 20. It says she extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hand to the needy. A godly woman is merciful, merciful, has compassion. She extends her hand to the poor. I love how Danny Aikens in his commentary says that she is a generous and gracious, has a generous and gracious spirit that characterizes her life. Parents, I must tell you, That I think that all of us want to be generous and all of us want to be merciful towards others. But we have to be intentional to see those moments in life. How often are we so busy running from here to there? Listen, just this past few months, my son was in three different sports and my daughter was in three different activities. And every night we were passing and going. Some of you all say, I've been there, David. I know what you're talking about. But when we get so busy, we fail to see the hurting people around us. Let me just say it again. When we get so busy, we fail to see the hurting people around us. You know what our children need to see in us? is how we are intentional in helping the hurting and the needy. I'll give you just a, a little example. And, um, a couple of Christmases ago... Uh, I received a, uh, an envelope, and it had no name on it. It just said, uh, I'm giving you this to be a blessing to others. And inside of it was a $100 bill. And it didn't have a name. It didn't say anything. It just said that this is for you to be a blessing to others to give to someone. And so I thought about it. I prayed about it. I said, what can I do with this? Who, who do I, Lord, show me? And the Lord just put on my heart, David, let your kids be a part of that. And so we decided one night that we're going to pray over and we're going to go eat somewhere and we're going to pray over whoever that waiter or waitress is that we are going to give them that $100 bill as their tip. And so I got to let my kids join in on that. Now listen, I, don't, I still probably somebody in the room that gave that to me, but I don't know who you are. Thank you so much. It was a great lesson for, uh, for my kids and, and for me. And so as we were driving there, we're praying for, for whoever the Lord's going to put, where he's going to place us. The lady, when we walked in, said, where do you want to be seated? I said, wherever. I'm not going to pick a place. You just tell me. Because, I mean, she didn't know what we were doing. But anyway, so we ate. Um, we, and then at the end, I had my children give this person that, that gift. And the person looked at me and said, really? For real? And in that moment, like, Emmy and Sam were like, yeah, for real, for real, Yes. And they got to see what it meant to be generous because somebody was generous with us, right? Church, what, they, what our children need is that reflection of the generosity of mercifulness that is, that is bestowed upon those around us. But if we're so busy, we're going to miss seeing those that are hurting all around us. Now, obviously, we must be wise in this. We're not called to enable anyone um, we're not called to enable somebody to stay in the, the position that they are. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was in New York City. We were doing missions with people on the street that were homeless, and we walked up to one, and we offered them some food. We offered them blankets. We offered them some some help, and then we started to share with them just why we were here, and the guy finally said, sir, excuse me, but if, if all you want to do is tell us a, a, about Jesus or other things, if you'd go on because people won't putting thing in my bucket if you're standing there. I thought to myself, man, we're not called to enable people, church, but we are called to be generous and obedient. And let me just say this very clearly. You're not responsible for what someone else does with what you bless them with that God has blessed you with. You are responsible if you know that you're enabling in that moment. But what that person does with that which you give is between them and the Lord. You're not to put somebody else's responsibility on your shoulders. How often do I hear people say, oh, like, I'm afraid to say this to them because this is what they're going to, this is how they may feel or this is going to happen. They start to, uh, so often we try to put everybody else's emotions and feelings on our shoulders. God didn't call us to bear that burden. You're responsible for you. How people respond and react is between them and the Lord. Sometimes we need to just remember that. Matthew 25, 37 through 40, Jesus was talking about how he's going to divide those on his left and right. And he says to the righteous, he says, uh, the righteous say back to him, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirst and give you something to drink? And Jesus said that when you did these, when, when did we see you sick and in prison? Then Jesus said, Truly I say to you, the extent that you did it for one of these brethren of mine, even the least of them, you did it unto me. A Proverbs 31 woman, a godly woman is one who recognizes need around. A godly man is also one who recognizes needs around. Not only that, but we see in verse 26, it says, She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. We see that a godly woman is one who is wise or has wisdom. Let me just remind you, where wisdom come from? Proverbs chapter 9 tells us that wisdom begins with what? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom. So we've talked about this several weeks in the book of Proverbs. That true wisdom comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wisdom has a name. And its name is Jesus. True wisdom comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is the wisdom that comes forth from a godly woman's mouth? That is God's holy word. When they speak, they don't speak... Simply opinions and thoughts, they give counsel according to God's word. Church, that needs to be all of us. All of us must seek wisdom. We have our our deacons. I've been they've been nominated and I've been speaking with each individual one who's been nominated. And one of the three things that I tell them is that I don't want a group of people as deacons that are are what we call yes men that, that just say yes to everything because the pastor said it. I want godly men who seek his word and give biblical counsel, not opinions and thoughts. Because if I'm about to walk off of a cliff. I sure hope somebody's got the word of God and speaking truth into my life. True wisdom here in Proverbs 31 is a woman who is in God's word and is proclaiming God's word over her children, over her family, speaking the truth of God's word. One of the things that, that I love about uh, when, I, when I'm studying hermeneutics at seminary Is that in hermeneutics, we talked about this, I shared it on a Wednesday night, that that we must believe that God's word is inerrant, right? There's no error in it. And what's interesting is is that when we believe that there's no error in God's word, yes, that means that, that even in the tough scriptures, that there's no error. But it also means that in the blessings of God's scripture, there's no errors, which means that when 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 a godly woman or even a godly husband is speaking God's word over his family, he can even speak the blessings of God over his family because they're inerrant as well. If you remove one piece of scripture, you gotta remove all the blessings as well. So a godly woman is trusted. She works hard, she's merciful, she has wisdom. 28 and 29 says that she's admired. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he is pray and he praises her saying many daughters have done nobly, but you are ex- excel them all. She's admired. Why is she admired? Because she's abiding in God's word. The truth of the matter is, is that she's not simply admired by her children or her husband, she's actually admired by all those around. The reason that I know this is because we also see this in Ruth. In the story of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3 verse 11. Look at what it says. Now my daughter do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Listen. When when Ruth was abiding, dwelling. When she was seeking. uh, The whole city knew. Listen. Listen. When we look at this in verse 28 and 29, when those are, are desiring God's word and they're abiding in God's word, they're admired by their children, by their husband, but really by all. Who doesn't want to be like Proverbs 31? What lady doesn't want to live out Proverbs 31? And when you see somebody living that out, you say, man, I, I want to be like that person. But the key to all of it is Verse 30. Why is she admired? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Not because of beauty, not because of anything other than this. The woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Why is she admired? Because she fears the Lord. Why is she admired? Because she has wisdom. Because she has surrendered her life to the Lordship of Christ. Listen, when we look at Proverbs 31... We recognize that, that this is a tough passage because, ladies, just being very transparent, none of, none of you can live up to this in your own power or your own strength. Men, last week, none of you can live up to that in your own power your own strength. But the daily sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to grow in that direction. What do children need from their, their mothers? Just as I said last week, what children need from their fathers. What do children need from their grandmothers? Just what I said last week, that children need from their grandfathers. And that is one who lives a life that reflects Christ. That is one who shares with them why they have a transformed life. That is one who leaves a spiritual inheritance with their children. Because their children have seen one who has been transformed by the gospel that their children and grandchildren have seen one that walked through difficult days in life and they're able to stand firm because they're rooted on the word of God. What do they need but one who is speaking God's word and their truth, his truth over them. So what is what is a Proverbs 31 woman? What is a godly mother? It's one who seeks God above everything. It's one whose eyes are on the king more than they're on themselves and more than they're on everything around them. It's one who has a foundation in Christ, in Christ alone. The last thing that I want us to look at today and summing up the family is the children, is the children. Last week we talked about the father, this week we're talking about the mother and the children. And I want to go to a very famous verse, Proverbs 22, 6. I'm sure some of you know it by heart. Some of you probably have plaques on your wall. Um, Some of you probably tell your kids this all the time. But it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Can I just tell you that this is one of the most difficult passages of Scripture? And it's so difficult that it's even brought parents to a place of condemnation in their heart about how terrible they must have done raising their kids. Because there's a lot of kids who are raised in the church, that are raised hearing the gospel, that come to faith at a young age, that are reading the scripture and are trusting the scripture, and then they choose later in life a path according to the world. And parents come to me and say, what did I do wrong? And they usually point to this verse. What did I do wrong? Parents, church, we have a view of this passage that could possibly be incorrect. I started doing a lot of research and looking at commentaries, and did you realize there's actually three different interpretations for this passage? Three different views that are hotly debated on this passage. The first view is what you probably have always thought that train up a child in the way that he should go uh, well let me let me stop here and say this the literal Hebrew translation of this passage is this: train up a child in his way, train up a child in his way this word this descriptive word of uh, in the uh, way he should go or in the right way, that word's actually not in the Hebrew, believe it or not. It says train up a child in his way. So then the question goes to, well, what is his way? Is that a lowercase h or is that a uppercase h? So there's three different interpretations. The first one is what we all know. His way would mean the way of Christ. In this case, then people say, well, uh, it's more of an uh, idea that happens most of the time than a promise. But people say all the time, like, listen, you know, Proverbs is more of a poetry book, and so, you know, this is kind of what happens, but obviously there's cases where it doesn't happen that way. But here's my concern about looking at the book of Proverbs that way. Do you look at any other passage that way? What about Proverbs 3 5 and 6? Do you ever look at it this way? Can you pull that up on the, script, on the screen for me? Do you ever look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 this way? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And sometimes He will make your path straight. You don't look at it that way, do you? But when we read Proverbs 22, 6, we're like, well, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't They don't stay the, the, the way in their later days. And so we're, we're dealing with the struggle of, okay, well, what does this mean? Well, the second interpretation is this, that each child has different personal traits, and so that we need to raise them up in, in different ways based on their personality and based on their traits. Okay, that, that's a possibility. But the third way is this, that his way is speaking to the child's fallen condition. That instead of it being, hey, uh, if you do this, then, then, then good things will happen, instead, this is actually a passage that's talking about the importance of discipline. Listen, train up a child in his way. Well, what's the way of a child? How many of y'all taught your kids how to hit somebody? How many of you taught your kids how to yell at somebody? Uh, I read, an order, I read a, a commentary, and this guy was giving an example, and he said, I watched my son get mad that my daughter got the toy, and so he yanked her hair. And he said, my son has never seen me yank anybody's hair. He hasn't seen anybody else yank somebody's hair. Where did that come from? It's naturally inside of them, isn't it? And so what this passage, what, it, what, what the speaking is, that this passage possibly is actually a warning If you train them up in their way, they're not going to depart from that sinful way as they grow older. Think about this for a second. The only way that they're going to depart from their sinful way as they grow older is if the gospel penetrates their heart. Let me just read this commentary to you. Because some of y'all are saying, David, this is too much. I've I've read that scripture all my life. This is just too much. I I told you all three today, I'm going to let you go home and chew on it. It says this. This is uh, Danny Aiken's Christ centered uh, uh, commentary. It says, almost every English translation of this verse adds a word to the text that is not in the Hebrew. The English says something along the lines of train a child in the way that is right or in the way he should go. The word right and should is not in the Hebrew. Literally, the verse should be rendered train a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In the Hebrew, there is no description or qualifier of way. So the English translation adds one like, right, or should. They do this to aid in the translation by making an interpretation on the verse. But we think it's better to take the text as it is. After all, the translation that puts the blame on the parent does not fit with the rest of Proverbs where a son makes his own wise or foolish choices and is held accountable for them. What's interesting is just later on down in chapter 22, this is what it says in verse 20. A wise son, no, I'm sorry, 22 verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. A Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Just a few verses down. Church, I'm not trying to like just make your head hurt today. But I am challenging you to go home and study this and look at the different views and the different understanding. And the reason that I'm challenging you to do that is because Proverbs 22, 6, when we think of our children, so many people have dealt with this so painfully and said, what have I done wrong? Why this and why that? And I'm here to tell you that there was one who had a perfect, perfect father A perfect father. This father had two children and both of them went astray. Those children's name was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. God loves them. And they both took the fruit. And because of that, we are all sinful. Children, I want to close now that... The parents have seen this. I think that obviously it reflects back to all the things in Proverbs that we've talked about. That discipline is important. The scripture says, if you do not discipline your child, you hate your child. That's painful. So students, when your parents discipline you, they love you. They care for you. They want the best for you. And all the parents are saying, amen. But children, let me just say, I want to give you two warnings. And when I say children, I'm a child because, you know, I I think of my mother and father. I mean, just all of us in some sense. Proverbs 1.8, children, it says this. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Kids, I'm here to tell you, you need to listen to your parents. Especially when they open up God's word. You need to listen to your parents. Solomon is speaking here to his son. Listen, my son, to my instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. But not only do you need to listen, and I'll close with this, but you need to honor them. Proverbs 6, 20 through 23 says, My son, observe the commandments of your father and do not forsake the teaching of Of your mother. Bind them continually around your neck, tie or around your heart, tie them around your neck. And when you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and reproof for discipline are the way of life. So let me wrap all this up. Fathers, What our children need, as we talked about last week, is a spiritual inheritance from you, sharing the truth of Christ with them. Mothers, what children need most is parents who seek God first in all things. Children, Solomon speaks so many times to listen and to obey the wise teaching of your parents, they're a lot wiser than you think. They've been through a lot more than you realize. And even in their discipline, they love you. Last week, we closed with a time of praying for fathers. And this week, as we close, I want to take a time to pray for mothers. I know that it's not Mother's Day, but there's nothing wrong with praying for mothers in November. Last week, we realized how difficult it is to walk according to God's truth as a godly dad or a godly man. And we see it in our culture. The culture's coming against men, but can I tell you the culture's also coming against those who walk according to the word of God, even as ladies. And so we want to pray for the mothers in this room as we close today. If you are a, uh, and I won't even say mother, if you're a lady in this room, would you be willing to stand for us to pray for you um, not just mothers, because all ladies uh, are called to Proverbs 31. But if you're a lady in this room, would you stand? And we're just going to put our hands towards you. If, if there's a husband sitting next to you, would you just hold your, your wife's hand as you pray for them? Um, and we're going to pray for the ladies in this room. We're just going to place our hands towards them, and we're going to just cry out to God on their behalf. And so, church, would you pray? And, and then I'm going to close here in just a minute as Heidi's going to play here.